Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Good morning and welcome to SNC Lavalin's second quarter 2021 conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Denise Jesmin, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Aria. Good morning, everyone, and, and we appreciate you joining the call. A Q2 earnings announcement was released this morning, and we have posted a corresponding slide presentation on the investor section of our website. The recording of today's call and its transcript will also be available on our website within 24 hours. With me today are Ian Edwards, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Jeff Bell, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I would like to ask everyone to limit themselves to one or two questions to ensure that all analysts have an opportunity to participate. You are welcome to return to the queue for any follow-up questions. I would like to draw your attention to slide two. Comments made on today's call may contain forward-looking information. This information, by its nature, is subject to risk and uncertainties, and as such, actual results may differ materially from the views expressed today. For further information on these risks and uncertainties, please consult the company's relevant filings on CDAR. These documents are also available on our website. Also during the call, we may refer to certain non-IFRS measures. These measures are defined and reconciled with comparable IFRS measures in our MDNA, which can be found on CDAR and our website. Management believes that these non-RFRS measures provide additional insight into the company's financial results, and certain investors may use this information to evaluate the company's performance from period to period. And now I'll pass the call over to Ian Edwards. Ian? Thank you, Denny, and good morning, everyone. Starting on slide four, we're pleased to have delivered a strong second quarter, and combined with the first quarter's performance, have reported solid results for the first half of 2021, and we remain on track to meet our 2021 outlook. SNCL Engineering Services delivered another robust performance with segment-adjusted EBIT growth and strong profitability across all three segments. Our LSTK projects continue to progress well, and discussions with our clients on compensation for the additional costs related to COVID-19 impacts have been constructive. Also, Today, we've announced the substantial close of the sale of our oil and gas business. This represents an important strategic milestone for the company. Quarterly performance was driven primarily by engineering services, which generated revenues of $1.5 billion, an increase of 2.4% on Q2 last year. Excluding the impacts of foreign currency, we saw robust organic growth of 6.8%. Segment-adjusted EBIT increased 9.5%, resulting in an adjusted EBIT margin of 9.6%. Backlog also remains robust at $11.1 billion, with a $1.5 billion in new bookings in the quarter, up 1.1% over the prior year. In SNCL projects, the LSTK contracts backlog reduced by approximately $200 million, bringing the remaining backlog down to $1.4 billion. In summary, having delivered a a solid second quarter, our first half 21 performance shows that our strategic initiatives to transform this company are generating results. Now let me share with you the progress we've been making in each of our strategic initiatives, and I'm on slide five. First, as I mentioned before, we've achieved the substantial close of the oil and gas business, a significant step forward in our transformation. The transaction has received all regulatory approvals except for one jurisdiction, Saudi Arabia. 
which is expected towards the end of Q3. Secondly, we have been successfully running off the LFTK projects, where the backlog has fallen from $3.4 billion in June 19 to just $1.4 billion in June 21, over 58% since we launched our transformation plan. Third is driving consistent financial performance within engineering services. In the first half of this year, revenue has grown year on year. EBIT margins are in the upper half of our target levels. Operating cash flow was $275 million, and we see a robust pipeline that gives us confidence in the continued performance going forward. Fourth, we are focused on building a connected, collaborative organization. We see significant opportunity to leverage our capabilities and product offerings more broadly across our core markets. Our world-class global technology center in India and growing digital capabilities allow us to deliver for our customers across all time zones and geographies while providing an attractive set of professional development opportunities to retain our employees and attract new talent. Finally, we continue to transform and align S&C Leveling with two fundamental growth trends, where we have clear capabilities and, in, and a compelling value proposition. One is climate change, and the other is digital transformation. On climate change, governments around the world, including Canada, are increasingly enacting regulations around achieving net zero carbon. We are well positioned to be a leader in engineering a sustainable society with our Engineering Net Zero initiative and providing clean and affordable solutions to our clients. As governments in our core geographies continue to prioritize infrastructure spending, we see significant opportunity for S&C Leveling in the months and years ahead. With respect to our digital transformation, we continue to leverage our digital expertise and invest in further fortifying our capabilities in this space. Digital is an enabler for all we do and a way to differentiate our core services. And it focuses on design transformation, program management, digital twinning, and provides the infrastructure and services required for a globally connected and data-driven engineering business. Turning to slide six and an update on our sustainability strategy, we have proactively positioned ourselves to be a leader in engineering a sustainable society. And we have been growing our portfolio work in this area. A great example of this is our recent award from the UK government, where we will be ensuring that over 4 million square feet of public sector office space meets enhanced sustainability standards as part of a UK government investment to accelerate its net zero agenda. In May, we also communicated our goal of being net zero carbon by 2030. Next, I'd like to move on to our business lines, starting with slide seven and the results for EDPM. EDPM generated revenues of $935 million, broadly flat to the same quarter last year. However, excluding the impact of foreign exchange, revenue growth was up 5.3%, driven by strength in our UK, Middle East, and US businesses. Segment-adjusted EBIT of $85 million increased 8.5%, resulting in a 9.1% EBIT margin. Backlog grew 12% to just over $3 billion, a record high for EDPM, driven by major wins in the UK, Middle East, and Australia, where we recently logged a major award supporting the Sydney Metro project. We see this as a key step to realizing our growth ambitions in Australia. Additional awards included rail, road, transportation, and solar projects. And looking ahead, the pipeline remains strong at $27 billion. Turning to slide eight, nuclear segment increased 6.1% on a reported basis and 9.6% on a constant currency basis. Growth was driven by increased support of assets for North America and European clients. Canada showed particular strength as we saw increased demand for our engineering field services. Segment-adjusted EBIT 
of $33 million increased 7.5% over the prior year, resulting in 14.2% margin. Profit improvement was driven primarily across the US, Canada, and Europe, partially offset by a reduction in Asia Pacific. We continue to see several significant opportunities and growth catalysts on the horizon. These include continued demand for reactor support, can-do refurbishments and decommissioning, intensified tendering by the US Department of Energy for environmental management work, as well as continued momentum in the UK. We also see opportunities for new build work and decommissioning activities within Canada, the US and the UK. A key component to our continued success is our nuclear products and technology, which is a portfolio of physical, software, and licensing rights for the nuclear reactor designs and operational support licenses, as well as waste management, reduction, and process technologies. Our capabilities are differentiated, and in many cases, unique, enabling us to secure contracts like the expansion for medical isotope extraction at our Oak Ridge facility. Moving to slide nine and infrastructure services, the segment had a solid quarter with revenues of $334 million, representing growth of 6.3% compared to Q2 2020. On a constant currency basis, revenue increased by 9.2%, driven by increased levels of activity in links on because of significant new orders in the US and the EMEA region. Segment-adjusted EBIT of $26 million increased 15.8% and resulted in an EBIT margin of 7.9%. We remain very optimistic about the numerous opportunities ahead, including growth in renewables such as wind, solar, and hydro, as well as data centers, rail and transit, and social infrastructures in the Americas and Europe. Turning to slide 10, and capital, the segment continued to be impacted by COVID restrictions in Ontario, which has resulted in reduced traffic volume on Highway 407 ETR. As a result, there was no dividend payment in the quarter. However, we do see increased volumes as a result of easing restrictions that really started in earnest at the end of June, and we remain op optimistic for increasing traffic volumes over the short to medium term as more people return to offices. Our other concessions continue to perform well, and looking ahead, we are building a pipeline of new public-private partnership opportunities where we can leverage our engineering and O&M capabilities. These include several PPPs in Canada and the UK in the sewage water treatment and hospital space. Moving to slide 11 and the infrastructure EPC projects we continue to make good progress, reducing the LSTK construction backlog. Comprising three Canadian LRT projects, this portfolio's backlog is down 45% versus a year ago, and down 13% since the end of Q1. The segment recorded an adjust, adjusted segment EBIT loss for the quarter of $22 million, compared to a loss of $19 million a year ago. We are also proactively monitoring potential macroeconomic challenges, including potential inflationary pressures on labor and materials, supply chain issues, and labor constraints. While we have not seen any material impact on our LSTK project so far, we are tracking these very closely. Turning to slide 12 and the resources segment, we continue to target full completion of the sale of our oil and gas business by the end of Q3. Our mining and metal services business is performing well. We are seeing growth in revenue and profitability driven primarily by increased demand for the materials used in clean energy storage, including electric vehicles. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Jeff. Thank you, Ian, and good morning, everyone. Turning to slide 14, total revenues for the quarter increased by 8% to $1.8 billion compared to Q2 2020. SNCL Engineering Services revenue was higher by 2.4%, in line with our outlook range for the year. 
SNCL projects revenue was higher by 62% as the comparator period in 2020 was impacted by a temporary shutdown on some projects due to the initial wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and a client dispute in resources. Segment adjusted EBIT for the quarter was $140 million, which was comprised of $145 million for SNCL engineering services, $16 million for capital, and negative $21 million for SNCL projects. This latter negative EBIT was mainly due to the infrastructure EPC project segment, which had a loss in the quarter due to reduced gross margin, including the ongoing impacts of COVID-19 and closeout costs on certain projects. Corporate SG&A expenses totaled $27 million in the quarter, in line with our expectations. On a year-to-date basis, corporate SG&A expenses totaled $43 million, lower than we expected, mainly due to a slower phasing of our digital spending program, which we now expect to be weighted to the second half of the year. The adjusted net income from PS and PM was $54 million, or $0.31 per diluted share, representing a significant improvement compared with Q2 2020. Note that the effective income tax rate related to the adjusted PS and PM net income was higher this quarter at about 33% compared to our normal range of 20 to 25%. This was mainly due to one-time adjustments related to the revised estimates on certain income tax liabilities and the impact of the enacted UK tax rate changes on deferred income tax balances. Backlog ended the quarter at $13 billion compared to $13.8 billion last year primarily due to the continued runoff of the LSTK construction contracts backlog, which totaled $1.2 billion over that period. SNCL Engineering Services backlog, on the other hand, increased by 1% during the same period, with an increase of 12% in the EDPM segment, totaling a record high of $3 billion at the end of June 2021. In nuclear, backlog decreased by 17% over the last 12 months, mainly due to the progress on the company's long-term refurbishment contracts in Canada. As for infrastructure services, the backlog remained solid at $7.2 billion, in line with the end of June 2020, and continued client deliveries and strong contract wins over the last 12 months, particularly in Linkzone. Turning to slide 15 and the balance sheet, our day sales outstanding continued to improve, reaching 58 days at the end of the quarter for EDPM a 13-day improvement as compared to Q2 2020. This improvement is mainly the result of our continued focus on cash collection and early government payment programs related to COVID-19. The strong operating cash flow attributes of SNCL engineering services are expected to be partially offset by our return to a more normalized DSO level in the second half of the year. At the end of June 2021, the company had $663 million in cash, The company's net recourse debt to EBITDA ratio on the revolver credit facility, calculated in accordance with the terms of the company's credit agreement, was 1.8 times, well below the required covenant level of 3.75 times. Moving on to slide 16, net cash generated from operating activities was $78 million in Q2 2021, compared to $130 million in Q2 2020. SNCL Engineering Services continued to generate strong cash flow from operations with $157 million in the quarter due to strong EBIT conversion and a low DSO in the EDPM segment, while capital generated $4 million. After cash taxes, interest, and corporate items, you can see that we generated $102 million of operating cash flow in the quarter. SNCL Projects had an operating cash flow usage of $27 million, while discontinued operations contributed $3 million. For 2021, we continue to expect the company's operating cash flow to be largely break-even as a result of a return to a more normal DSO profile in engineering services by the end of the year and a usage of cash in SNCL projects. Regarding capital allocation priorities, we are primarily focused on reinvesting in our core portfolio, and we look forward to communicating more details on our capital allocation plans at the upcoming Investor Day. And finally, turning to slide 17 in our 2021 outlook. As it pertains to 2021 outlook, we are reaffirming our SNCL engineering services revenue expectation of low single digit percentage growth year on year, including the impact of a weaker US dollar. And we are maintaining our SNCL engineering services segment adjusted EBIT margin outlook of eight to 10%. 
We also continue to target the same long-term EBIT margin percentages for each segment. This concludes my presentation, and I'll now hand back to Ian. Thanks, Jeff. Turning to slide 19, I'd like to conclude my remarks with a few key takeaways. We continue to execute on our transformation strategy with a focus on two main priorities, to de-risk our portfolio and accelerate growth in engineering services. On our first priority, we continue to make consistent progress on unwinding the LSTK backlog, while the substantial close of the oil and gas business represents a significant strategic milestone in our transformation. On our second priority, we are seeing a strong pipeline of new business opportunities across all our core markets as governments invest in new infrastructure and sustainability initiatives. We are pleased with the strong performance of the first half of the year, and we remain focused on executing our strategy. We look forward to sharing more about our vision for the future and our growth opportunities at our upcoming Investor Day in September. And lastly, I'd like to thank all our employees around the world for their ingenuity and their continued dedication to the company. Thank you. I'll now open the call for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Once again, to join the question queue, please press star, then one, now. Our first question comes from Jacob Bout of CIBC. Please go ahead. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Good morning. Good morning. Um, first question is just on your 8 to 10% um, margin guidance. You know, if we look at what happened in the uh, first half of the year, over 9%, and considering seasonality, we were second half margins stronger than first half. Um, you know, is it more likely you're going to be at the higher end of that, or, or how should we be thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, clearly, um, it's been a good first half of the year. Um, we're, we're pleased uh, with the first half of the year, with, and from a you know from a, a specific profitability perspective, I, I think that's a fair takeaway. Um, we're not about to change the range, um, as we've reaffirmed in in this uh, in this quarter. But uh, but I think that I think that's a fair takeaway. And you know, and clearly we're 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 pushing as hard as we can to make sure um, we stay at that uh, level and uh, and push to the higher end of the range. 
and then how about your thoughts on uh, discretionary SG&A uh, increase in, in, in expenses as employees head back to work and, and labor cost inflation? Yeah, it's Jeff Jacob. I mean, maybe I'll, <clears throat> I'll, I'll take that one. I mean, I think, as you saw from a, a corporate SG&A expense perspective, a bit of phasing, particularly around our digital uh, transformation and spend program. So we do expect a bit more of that in the second half of the year than, than the first half of the year. But I think that's just phasing. Expect the overall the year to be in line with our expectations. Um, I think so far, you know, more generally, we haven't seen a lot of labor inflation. Um, attrition has started to, to come back up, I would say, to, to more kind of pre-COVID levels. Um, but as I think you heard Ian say, we continue to, you know, think we've got a really attractive uh, business and opportunity for employees to be a part of. And, um, you know, I think at this point that's, that's absolutely turning out to be true from a, an attraction and retention perspective. Um, and, we, uh, you know, we'll keep our eye closely on labor inflation and materials inflation. Um, but, you know, so far, uh, all that's been manageable. That's my two. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you. Our next question comes from Yuri Link of Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, good morning, Yuri. Good morning. Um, Ian, were you surprised by the, the delay in, in getting approval in, in Saudi Arabia for the sale of, of the oil and gas business? No, I don't think surprised. Um, I mean, obviously, these things <clears throat> these things are, are a process. Uh, we we went through a process which needs certain specific submissions, which which we we've completed. But through the process of those submissions, there's always a bit of to and fro in and clarification and update of further information. But we're we're at a point now where they've confirmed they've got all they need. So it, it's really a question now of just process and. And getting um, getting the response, so it, it's not something we you know we can really influence. I mean, they, they, you know, it's regulatory, it's uh, it's it's government process. So pretty confident now, uh, having answered all the questions, that we will see that within Q3. So pretty pretty confident that's going to come through soon. Okay, and and this is just. Um in this to and fro it's it's just a clarification issues are, are, are the terms of the sale agreement um, changing in any way no not not at all not at all it literally you know regulatory bureaucracy um, more documents more more clarification that kind of thing but I think the key point um, that I would make is they have confirmed they've got everything they need and and they're satisfied with with what they've got so like I said, we're, we're confident we're at the right place. Just got to wait now to, to get the response back. Okay. Um, for my second question, I'd just like to shift to the uh, projects uh, segment. And, and when you talk about Sorry, would you just speak up a little bit? So, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, yeah, much better. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, when you talk about uh, operating cash flow being break even for the year, does that anticipate any recapture of uh, additional uh, costs that were that you're talking about with your clients on COVID? So it's it, Jeff. Why don't I take that one? Um, I think within it, and you will have seen in in my in my uh, statement that we are expecting uh, just the way you know DSO is within within engineering services some of that to uh, you know to start to normalize in the second half of the year. Uh, we are expecting to see uh, continued cash usage in essence in CL projects, um, and therefore <clears throat> we're not anticipating much in terms of in terms of uh, uh, additional monies back for, related to COVID. Um, we've, we've got we've got a bit in there, but you know not a lot. And all of that is you know just recognizing that you know the discussions, which are constructive and are ongoing. Um, often take time um, if we can uh, if we can close those out you know before the end of the year great um, but if that needs to sort of fall into the the beginning of next year you know we've, we've stayed that way okay I'll turn it over thanks thank you our next question comes from Benoit Poirier of Desjardins Capital Markets please go ahead 
Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, with respect, yeah, with respect to this segment, EBIT loss for SNCL project in the quarter, could you maybe provide more color about what drove the cost for closing out certain projects and whether this is something we might see as you run down the uh, three other infrastructure projects? Yeah, thank, thanks, Benoit, for sure. I mean, I, I think the first point I'd make is projects are going well. We've got some strong execution on these last three jobs uh, in Canada. I mean, the, the, as you saw, you know, the backlog for the Canadian projects is down to 1.3, so 200 million reduction uh, in the quarter. So I think you can appreciate that COVID's still affecting these three jobs. I mean, uh, you know, we've said in the past that productivity is affected you know, on different activities, anything in the range of 15 to, to 25%. And unfortunately, as the, the pandemic, you know, is still evident that that's still the case. Um, we, we, we might see uh, some inflation through labor and materials. We're not seeing that yet. There could be some post-pandemic. So it's, it's, I think the message I'm trying to send here is we're not through the pandemic yet. And, and obviously, we're very hopeful that in the fall, certainly as we go through Q3, Q4, everything's going to get back to normal, and we're going to execute back to normal productivity levels. That's what, that's what we're expecting. So, I mean, specifically, the loss is really a combination of COVID and overhead. I mean, obviously, we're carrying an overhead to execute the closure of these three jobs and indeed just tidying up everything else from the, the exited business line of LSTK. So, so that, that's really where, where, where that comes from, um, Benoit. Okay, and for my second question, looking at operating cash flow, you, you pro Jeff provides some great color about the expectation for the second half, uh, the, the, uh, the normalized uh, DSOs and also the use of cash for certain LSTK projects. But beyond 2021, could you talk a bit about the, uh, uh, the use of cash, whether it will reverse in the positive territory for uh, the remaining LSTK project, how we should be thinking beyond 2021 uh, with respect to the use of cash for LSTK projects. Thank you. Yeah, it, happy to take that, Benoit, Jeff. Um, I think what we'd say is, and we continue to be of the view that over, you know, the life of, of infrastructure projects as a, as a portfolio for the remaining projects, we expect them to be cash flow neutral, um, you know, maybe slightly positive. Um, that'll clearly, you know, vary, you know, period to period and, and year by year, as we've talked about. Um, <clears throat> so I think we, you know, clearly would intend to see post 2021 uh, a more normalization of that. Um, I think it's, I think it's frankly, you know, too early, and we'll talk a bit more at the at the investor day about how we see cash flow, you know, post 2021 um, and our thoughts around that. Um, but I think I'd, I'd leave our, our sort of outlook and statements largely the way we've, we've talked about them previously. Okay. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Murray of ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, folks. Good morning. Um, Jeff, maybe you want to take this one. Um, but just, you know, you did start calling out currency as a, as a bit of an issue um, in terms of revenue growth just year over year. So I guess a couple questions on this, just to confirm, um, you know, one, this is just really a translation impact. There's no real um, FX um, risk in, in this. Um, and then two, you know, just trying to understand um, and making sure I understand the, the mix of currencies that impact you um, in the different segments um, so we can maybe try to forecast this a little better on a go-forward basis. Sure. Yeah, Chris. Ha happy to. Um, I think you know, my first observation would be it's it's absolutely been you know the difference between the strength of the Canadian and U.S. dollar that's impacted Q2. Um, we saw a fairly significant move in that with Canadian dollar strengthening, um, mm -hmm. as as I'm sure you're aware, you know, back in sort of April, early May. Um, and so it was just to to call out the point. You know, our our underlying, you know, our effectively our reported results are in line with our guidance around revenue outlook, low single digit. Um, you know, but the reality was that if uh, if currencies had stayed, you know, constant to the previous year, from an 
an underlying organic growth in local currency, uh, the, the the organic growth was stronger. It was you know more in the mid single digit range. So, was just was just calling that out. Um, the two currencies primarily that affect us are the U.S. dollar to the Canadian dollar and the you know the British pound to the to the dollar. Those those are the the two largest ones uh, by far. The, the rest the rest are you know fairly minor. It's really those two. Okay, no, that's fair. And, and it it all really is just translation. There's no yes um, material balance sheet in your bag. Okay, great. Nope. Um, no, ab- absolutely. Okay. Um, and then just uh, my other question for you, just um, going back to the capital business maybe for a second. Um, you know, in the quarter, uh, saw a bit of a um, sizable step up in the book value of the capital business. Um, just wondering if there's any kind of additional color you can give us on on what actually, you know, resulted in what looks like, you know, about a $60 million plus increase in the, uh, in the net assets of the, uh, of, of the capital portfolio. Yeah, I think that's just related to a couple of things, Chris. One is around uh, some investments uh, that we make as part of some uh, some of our joint venture investments, and it really just has to do with the point at which we're moving uh, capital into those investments uh, in terms of our in terms of our cash flow. So I, I wouldn't call anything out there in particular. Um, just a bit of the normal movement in terms of how we account for those for those uh, investments. Okay, fair enough. All right, folks, that's my questions. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Frederick Bastian of Raymond James. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, everybody. A uh, quick question on uh, sort of your business development approach. I mean, uh, the, the Metro Sydney Award shows that you're still able to participate in very large-scale projects, but uh, without taking... Uh, taking on undue risk. So I was wondering, uh, you know, what are you telling clients differently uh, than you were perhaps two years ago uh, that is, you know, convincing them to give you, give you a shot at these projects and, um, you know, your ability to perhaps team up with local domestic contractors to pursue the work. So how fundamentally have you changed your approach to, uh, you know, to, to um, bidding on these jobs? Yeah, very fundamentally changed. And, and the first thing I'd say is we're, we're very, very clear that we're, we're, we're out of LSTK contracting. I mean, and, and, and making that clear uh, to our customers globally, um, and we're not alone. I mean, a, a lot of our peers have indicated similar strategies, maybe not as um, definitive as ours, but certainly indicated similar strategies. I think the laws of supply and demand as such that our customers are having to find new ways to, uh, to, 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 to develop and build their infrastructure. And we're seeing um, a change in the way that that procurement is being undertaken. And, and, and we're seeing a change significant enough, I think, to fuel the growth demands that, that, that we have such that we can be selective. And we, we're working on kind of numerous uh, prospects in, in Canada, the UK, and Australia, um, where we're seeing this type of um, collaborative, you know, non-fixed price uh, style of, uh, of delivering major projects um, is, is evident. So we, we're really optimistic about, um, you know, building our capability from the past where we used to deliver LSTK projects to delivering collaborative projects with our, with our customers. So very, very, um, very optimistic about that, that kind of part of our business future. Thanks Ian. And then secondly, um, we're kind we're, we're seeing good progress in the U S with respect to, um, um, Congress potentially, uh, uh, approving an infrastructure bill in, in some shape or form. So, um, can you remind me uh, how well positioned you are in, to potentially participate in um, in any future work related to the, this uh, stimulus bill? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, we, when we acquired Atkins, one of the you know very attractive parts of that acquisition was the the, the start they'd made on growth in the U.S. and we've been able to continue the organic um, growth of 
that growth in the US. And it's been very, very successful in, in very specific states, such as Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, Colorado, Nevada. <clears throat> and recently, in our, in our strategic planning, we've identified the white space areas, which are you know primarily Northeast, Northwest, California, and we started opening offices and we have a you know an organic approach to building more capacity and building more connectivity to the states that that's that's going well for us and we would also clearly add to that through inorganic growth and we'll give a bit more flavor around that in uh, in a, in our investor day um but it's a very key 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 part of our strategy for growth um <clears throat> and, and and what we're seeing obviously even without the Biden trillion dollars, what we're seeing is 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 good opportunities, a good pipeline, and and strong growth areas without the trillion dollar. And because the trillion dollar is additional, I mean that, that once this bill is passed, that's additional funding that we're going to see flow through in 22 and 23 and beyond. So very very key to our future, and uh, I think we're really well positioned for it. Thank you very much. Our Thank next you. question our next question comes from Sabahat Khan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Okay, great. Thanks and good morning. Um, I guess we'll talk a little bit about the infrastructure services segment. It's a bit smaller and we don't talk about it a lot, but it seems to have done quite well through each one. Can you maybe talk about just the opportunity set there, the kind of work you're doing and you know, is it just a, a lot of opportunity out there in that segment? Just some commentary there, please. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's it's really you could you could you could think about the um, segment in three parts. There's the links on part, which is this joint venture with ADB that does uh, um, substation and transmission distribution work. It has the O and M business in it, um, which are the very very long term Canadian O and M uh, contracts, primarily one through the triple P market. And we have the services part of really what is legacy S&C Lavalin, such as hydro um, and uh, clean energy and uh, industrial. So when you think about those three components, they're, they're pretty buoyant uh, end markets all round. And, uh, and, the, and the key uh, in our growth strategy going forward is really to take those beyond Canada uh, and think about where we can position those those capabilities in the US and uh, and the UK. So very strong growth specifically in the first half of the year out of Linkson. Um we've seen some good wins uh, in the Linkson business. Um and we're seeing from the services side in certainly the the hydro market <clears throat> and and the clean energy side of power um quite a strong demand there too. So so good capabilities that gives us this platform uh, for growth in the future. Great. Um, and then just a second one, I want to talk a little bit about the backlog and particularly the nuclear backlog. Maybe a two-parter there, I guess. You know, Can you maybe comment on the opportunities out there as you kind of wind down the existing work, um, what kind of work you're looking at? And then just a second part, and we've talked a little bit in the past about how nuclear fits into kind of the future of clean energy. Um, should we expect that until that debate is settled, more of the work in your backlog will come from cleanup and remediation? Just as kind of an outlook on that side, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. That, and, and, and I think the answer is basically yes. Um, very many components to our nuclear business, and that, that's obviously the key strength in, in the fact that we've got a diverse range of capabilities. But if we try and think about it probably in three parts, what one is – um, environmental, so so cleaning up nuclear waste and decommissioned power plants, which is about 40% of the business. Very very strong pipeline ahead, both in the UK, the US, and to some extent in Canada. Very strong Department of uh, of Energy in the US. Lots of opportunity um, where we're already you know supplying that service again in uh, in in the uk and in, uh, in, in sellerfield and the cleanup through there so probably one of the key growth drivers in the in the short term another component is basically life extension to reactors or new build reactors 
obviously in Canada uh, with OPG and Bruce, where we have successful business with them on the extension of their nuclear plants. And those contracts are going well. They're, they're, they're a bit lumpy, frankly, because they're, they're big contracts. And, you know, they, 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 when they get awarded, they're big jobs, adds a lot to the backlog. And then obviously, you know, takes a long time to, to burn that backlog off. UK new market, um, very, very uh, important to our future. We're, we're very prevalent in Hinkley in a, in a design and te technical services capacity um, with almost 700 engineers on that job. And interesting to see what happens next. Sizewell is the next one. The, the government does have a nuclear program there. They're fairly committed to it um, for clean energy. Um, obviously something we'd like to see across the globe, but, but other countries are, are kind of sitting on the fence at the moment with that. And then we've got all of the, the, the third leg to the business, which is really all of the reactor support, the technology, you know, that, that um, even that little uh, um, component I threw into the presentation, where we actually have the technology to extract medical isotopes from nuclear waste, which are, which are used to, uh, in the medical sector. So, you know, very interesting from a technical but, but, but perspective and, uh, and book and burn type work. So we're really bullish on the, on the, the nuclear sector, not all dependent on seeing new builds, um, a lot of opportunity, e even just what we see, uh, you know, as, as nuclear status quo. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Devin Dodge of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. All right, thanks. Uh, just maybe a couple questions on uh, the EDPM segment. Um, the MDNA mentioned uh, settling a number of project uh, final accounts in Q2. Just can you provide some color there on how meaningful those closeouts were? Like, I think we recognize that these can occur from time to time. I was, I'm just trying to get a sense if the, if the margin performance uh, in the quarter was sustainable or, or if 12 months from now we'll be talking about EDPM having you know, a difficult margin comp. Yeah, Jeff, why don't I take that one, uh, Devin? So, yes, you're absolutely right. As part of EDPM, there are, you know, true ups and settlements of, of different uh, different projects as they close out, both on the positive and negative side. On the positive side, uh, you know, it was, it was effectively something uh, that was in the sort of $10 million range in and of itself. But I would say there were a couple going the other way. Um, so the net impact of the positive contract closeout versus a couple of small ones, you know, was kind of low, you know, single millions. So I think from a comp perspective, as we move forward, um, I think it'll be fine. And I think the results themselves reflect well the underlying operating performance of the of the business, um, you know, notwithstanding at the margin, there's there's a there's a few ups and downs. Okay. Okay. That's good color. Okay. Um, the second question on EDPM, look, I, I was a bit surprised to see some restructuring costs in the EDPM business uh, in Q2. I think it was, you know, in the nine to $10 million range. Just can you provide some color on the nature of those restructuring charges? Sure. Yeah. So as a part of continuing to bring, you know, what was effectively, you know, the, the Atkins business and the SNCL business together, Particularly in Canada, we've, we've looked to streamline the organization, um, have it very focused uh, and redesign how it goes to market uh, so that it's well set up to drive growth. And as a result of that, uh, you know, we've also taken out uh, some spans and layers and, and layers of management to, to streamline the organization that way. And so what you're seeing there are primarily severance costs related to doing that. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. I'll turn it over. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Tupom of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Um, a bit of a follow-up question on the nuclear segment uh, further to, to some of the comments you made uh, earlier in the call uh, on that segment. So another quarter uh, with solid performance in, in nuclear, uh, and you sound quite positive on nuclear's outlook. I'm just wondering, though, the, the backlog in nuclear, it's been coming down for the last six quarters or so. Uh, and I know, Ian, you just mentioned a, a moment ago that it, that it can be lumpy, particularly in the, in the life extension work. But I'm just wondering if, if, if we look at that 
uh, that segment, do we need to see the backlog start to turn higher relatively soon to sustain the kind of performance you've been you've been delivering in nuclear, or um, you know, or can you can you maintain what you've been doing uh, without necessarily seeing any kind of a near-term uptick in backlogs? I, th- I, th- I mean, uh, I think the answer is both, really, um, because the, the 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 parts of the business are quite different. I mean, you know, there is a book and burn element to this, which is short cycle. You know, we we win those mandates, we execute them quite quickly, and you won't see a particular you know build up of backlog. It's going to be fairly consistent. However, if you think then about the the longer-term contracts, which are both in cleanup and in Canada. Um, for example, on Bruce, you know, the reactors there are issued one by one. I mean, we, we, we have an option um, that is an optionable on both ways for, for the client and ourselves for reactors two, three, four in the series. We're working on the first reactor, but that's not in the backlog. So we're currently negotiating the second one, we would hope to secure that. That will go into the backlog, and you'll see a bump. Um, similarly, these big jobs in the U.S., and they are you know, multi-billion dollar projects in the U.S. for cleanup, um, when we award one of those, you, again, you'll see, a, you know, you'll see a significant bump in the, in the backlog. So I think the most important thing for me is the, the strength of the pipeline I mean, and, and you know, the barriers to entry. I mean, uh, there's limited competition here because, you know, the barrier to entry, having the technical capability is quite high, hence, you know, its profitability is high, um, and the pipeline strong. So uh, I'm not worried. I'm really kind of optimistic about the future. Okay, that's helpful. And just just in terms of tracking this going forward and, and having these opportunities in the pipeline translate into... Uh, into awards and, and seeing an upturn in the backlog is do you have some visibility on that? Is that something we should look for over coming quarters or, or are these longer term opportunities that, that could take longer to materialize? Yeah, I, I mean, and if, if you if you think back to the, you know, the specific investor um, day that we had in the nuclear facility, we, we try to give a bit more transparency around that pipeline and, and we'll do that again in the, in the investor day. We'll, we'll, Will show a, a, a bit more of the of the pipeline and the different kind of components of this sector. Okay, that's helpful. And then in terms of the uh, my second question on the EDPM business, um, you know, good reported year-over-year revenue growth and, and even better on a constant currency basis. Um, you've talked a fair bit about you know your views around regionally where you're seeing. Strength, but I'm wondering from a from an end market or sector perspective, can you speak a little bit about uh, about that and, and which areas you know are, are driving that growth and, and maybe which areas um, you know are, are lagging in terms of a, the, the sector and, and end market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and it is a varied picture. Um, for, for ourselves, the U.S. is is a key key growth market for us, and and. And our, and our business in the U.S. is really road and bridge, rail and buildings, and and it you know all of those components are, are strong state by state. Um, we're only in a handful of states, so the, the the growth for us there is let's keep doing the same thing. Let, let let's take it to more states, expand our geography. We're seeing very very strong. Um, growth in the UK and a lot of that growth currently is coming from new business. I mean, and obviously we're very, you know, we're we're almost the market leader in terms of of rail and transit and road. So we've been looking at digital work. We've been looking at how we sell our digital capability. We're, We're bringing in new revenues from our digital capability. And we're bringing in revenues such as the, the government property agency work, which is using our knowledge of buildings, using our O&M knowledge, using our digital capability to apply it to net zero. And, and that, that, that's a, almost like um, you know, a flagship project for us because we're actually helping the UK government bring down the carbon footprint of 
the, the, the national government buildings. And, and that's by, you know, analysis, consultancy, it's by bringing our, our design and technical and operation capability all, all to the client to do that. So, 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 so I think there's, you know, there's two things there. I mean, uh, you know, geographical growth in the US and then bringing more digital and uh, technology capability to the needs of our customers. Uh, that's probably a flavor. I mean, markets that are, that are not buoyant, they're, they're pretty obvious, you know, like aviation. Um, we're, we're obviously seeing a, a contraction in the aviation. Um, uh, apart from that, you know, we, 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 we focused on our core geographies, you know, which is the UK, Canada, the US. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Maxim Sichep of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, Ian, I just wanted to start uh, with a kind of high-level question. You mentioned uh, digital services as something that uh, you are trying to grow. Do you mind maybe providing uh, a bit more flavor in terms of, you know, how material this business is and, you know, the kind of the go-to-market strategy, whether it's dramatically different versus kind of, you know, the typical RFP thing that, 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 that you do. So maybe any, any color on that business, please. So I, th I think about it in two ways. So the first way is complementing our capability with digital tools. So, so in other words, being more efficient and effective in the services we offer our customers by bringing our, you know, our, our design, our consultancy, our delivery, and our commissioning and operation uh, and maintenance expertise to a, a digital level where we can differentiate how customers see our capability. So that's an important part of our digital strategy. And, and digital twinning, as you might have heard me say before, you know, is, is pretty key to that. So we can actually simulate everything for a customer before he actually sees it being built or, or before he sees it, you know, being uh, developed. That's, that's an important part. And, and our global technology center in India, with 3,000 really smart people in it, that supporting our, our businesses globally uh, is also a key part. You know, that, that for us is not a, a back office. It's, it's a very, very advanced uh, technology center with, with great capability on the digital side. So that's, that's one half of it. The other half is really placed to what I was just talking about, which is, which is new business. It's actually, you know, offering uh, our customers um, something which is untraditional for ourselves in, in digital technology. And, and, you know, an example would be, you know, the modeling of the buildings to bring them, bring their carbon footprint back down. And another example of that would be, we've been a, a preferred supplier to Heathrow for quite a long time now, helping them um, install uh, biometrics across the whole airport and, you know, digital tracing of, of people within the airport to reduce queuing times. And we worked alongside the client to actually, you know, uh, with, a, with a technology provider to, to project manage that, implement it, understand. So it's really, it's, the whole thing really is, is getting ahead of what our customers want and being able to offer what our customers are looking for um, ahead of our peer group. That's the way I see it. Right. Is it high margin business, uh, Ian? Or is it similar? Currently, um, I, I, I think it complements the margin range that we put out for EDPM. Um, I think we, over a period of time, if we truly differentiate ourselves, um, I think we'd have to, you know, keep observing that. But we're, we're, we're not about to change the range right now. Okay, fair enough. And then I have a couple of quick ones for Jeff, if I may. Um, sure. Tax rate was was pretty high in in Q2. I think it was 41%. How should we think about the rest of the year and for the entirety of the year in terms of the tax rate? Yeah. So as I as I said, there were a couple of one-off items in there, um, which which increased the effective tax rate in Q2. I wouldn't expect that to continue in the second half of the year. I'd expect us to be back more in our normal range of 20 to 25%. So uh, I think if you then look at from a full year basis, Max, 
yeah, it may be towards the the top end of our normal 20 to 25% range, but um, you know, w wouldn't expect you to to continue. Uh, it was it was a one-off related to kind of one one-time items. Okay, that's helpful. And then, in terms of um, you collected a government grant in Q2. In Q3, we should expect nothing. Is is that a fair assessment, or still? Yeah, I mean, the, the the government grants that we disclose are global, um, and there is a there is a bit outside Canada uh, as well. The majority of it is in Canada, and we would expect, as you say, to see very little uh, of that either in Canada or globally in. Uh, you know, in Q3 and going forward, most most countries are winding down those programs. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for clarifying. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Troy Sun of LBS. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I'm just wondering, I wanted to go back to the nuclear uh, segment here for a little bit. I'm very intrigued by some of the technology offerings that uh, Ian discussed early on in the call. Just wondering if you can provide some more uh, specific applications on, on those programs and any early feedback from the client side. Um, just trying to understand whether these offerings are specific to individual reactors or they can potentially become transferable to uh, other sites as well. Well, maybe the, yeah, and thank, thank you. Um, maybe the easiest way for me here is to give you an example. So we own the technology and developed the technology for, for vitrifying nuclear waste. And in simple terms, it's a process to put large volumes of nuclear waste into glass, into small glass volumes. I mean, I, I wouldn't pretend to understand the technology myself, but in simple terms, that's what it is. Now, we currently offer that to the Department of Energy in the US. And, and we actually have you know, facilities that we've installed in, uh, in, in old nuclear facilities to do that. And, and those you know, small glass uh, then go into long-term storage. We are, we are currently in advanced conversations in the UK for the nuclear storage facility in the UK in Sellafield um, to do just that. So to transfer that capability and technology to another customer. And, and that's obviously um, a key kind of strand to the, the nuclear business. And as I said, it's in three components. So, you know, technology, reactor and vendor support and, and having the can-do technology um, is, is one strand. The, the life extension new build is another strand. And then the decommissioning and nuclear uh, environmental management and cleanup is another strand. And, and of, you know, I mean, the basis of all of these is, is our capability and, and, our, and our nuclear capability that we've developed over many, many years, both in FNC Lavalin and, and Atkins. So it's a, it's a, it's, for me, it's a, it's a key capability that we have that we're really proud of. Thank you, and that's uh, super helpful. Maybe just a quick one for Jeff here. Uh, just given where the balance sheet is right now, uh, as well as potentially uh, you know, operating cash flow coming back uh, in um, the near future, what's the, you know, I guess, the comparable level of leverage that you'd be, you'd be targeting? And is there any thoughts around potentially putting in an NCIB in place in the, in the near future? Um, I think what I think what I'd say is that we'll talk more about that at the investor day. Um, I think I think as you've heard me say before, having a strong balance sheet uh, we think is is important to the company and important in executing on our strategy. Um, and and therefore, you know, we continue to have the view that we will move ourselves back towards having financial metrics consistent with investment grade. Um, we were pleased to see in Q2 that you know both rating agencies uh, took off their negative outlook, so to speak. Um, so we are at uh, double B high or, or double B plus, um, and uh, you know we think that continues to be the trajectory that we're on. But we'll definitely come back more at the investor day and, and give a, give more clarity on that. Okay, great. Thank you. That's it for me. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Denis Jasmine for any closing remarks. Thank you, very, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. If you have any uh, additional questions, please don't uh, hesitate to contact me directly. Thank you very much, and have a beautiful day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.